0: Hello, everybody, to the Constructionist Podcast. I welcome you. And just as a way of reminder, it's the Constructionist Podcast. We're seeking to construct something. We're constructing the body of Christ. We're constructing the person who is seeking to know the Lord to reflect Him in all that we say, all that we do, all that we are. What does it say? The greatest commandment is, "Hear, O Israel: The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and we shall, you shall, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength." And the second commandment is like it: love your neighbors yourself. These things summarize the whole of Scripture. Right there in one verse, the whole of Scripture is summarized, and this. Summary should focus and define and pinpoint accuracy in our mind what our aims are. And I think that's something that is often forgotten in so many people's minds and ways of thinking. I've recently been going through a a series that's being put out by the Daily Thunder podcast on spiritual lessons from World War I one and it's really quite fascinating this series because the guy doing it Eric Ludy is not focusing on events of World War 1 per se last night I was watching a video documentary on World War 1 and it just sort of mentions main people here and there. Like, oh, this general, and then, did, and then it explains this battle or this movement of troops or something like that. The documentary was way more focused on the events of World War I. The battles, the countries, who did what, or no, more like who, they did what uh, here and there and the other thing. Whereas the Daily Thunder podcast with Eric Ludi, the focus is much more on the people of World War One, So it's spiritual lessons is what it is, spiritual lessons from World War one And it all revolves around the personalities and the people that are in the events as they're taking place and why these things happen. For instance, he was just speaking uh, as I was listening to it for me the other day, but I think for him back in the spring sometime about the wife of the Tsar of Russia at the time and how she was prone to fits of anxiety. And she was the daughter of Queen Victoria and she had married the Tsar, or the, the, the heir apparent to the Tsar of Russia and then he obviously became the, the head of the Russian Empire. But just bringing out the, the, the personalities of who these different people are, it, it and how that personality and how that person affected the whole of the of the battles that were taking place. Like, um, you know, Wilhelm II, the head of the German people, was basically insecure and a meddler and he would constantly try to get different factions fighting against each other for his own ends, his own German ends. It's what he was doing, and then you had like the philosophies of the generals of France and the things that why they fought the way they fought because of their philosophy, and then you had the philosophy of the of the Germans and why they wanted to do what they did, and the the king of the Germans and the different. Um, people who were, the generals who were involved in their ideas on why things should happen, and it was all sort of wrapped up in this sort of notion of, oh, we're afraid of the Russians on this side and this side, so we got to do this, that, and the other thing. Uh, But the personalities of them is what I find quite fascinating, because if the Tsar of Russia's father had lived (laughs) another ten years, then it would have been a very different war, because he was a very different person and a very different leader. So it all plays into things. Now, I say all this to say that these individuals, these personalities, affected the lives of millions of people. Within the first month of the war, something like half a million men died between the French, the English, and the Germans. And then even more later, when the Russians got involved, within another couple months... People are dying over this thing and it all sort of boils down to uh, you know a handful of people at the top and the way they are perceiving things and how they interpret the world around them and how their personality and their temperament and their character comes back out and the things that they say and do and who they allow to, ha- to influence them. Really quite amazing. So you can almost do a psychological study of World War One. And see what kind of things were happening based on the personalities of the individuals who were involved. But I say all this to say that world events and the zeitgeist of the age. And the way society ebbs and flows is all about the mind and the individuals who are living and active of the day and what they had inputted into society. So the German mindset was influenced by earlier philosophers that were writing in Germany in the, late, the mid to late 1800s. And these ideas burrowed into the minds of certain movers and shakers in Germany. And as a result, it created this sort of... Um, superiority complex that the Germans had that began World War One, but also came in the greater fruition in World War Two under Hitler, because he was of that era and was imbibed with those ideas and those thoughts. And so everything revolves around this sense of what is coming out of your mind. What are you allowing yourself to be influenced by that then bears fruit? So the fruit... Of the German philosophers of the late 1800s was World War I and World War II and this German, uh, we're the the Aryan race. We are the uh, the top of the of the of the racial ladder, so to speak. We have evolved to a point where everybody should be serving us. So that was their that was their mindset. I don't know if they would have said it like that. But that is or maybe they would have, you know, I mean, we all know that that Hitler was very much Aryan race minded. He believed that that um, the black people and the Jews and the gypsies and they were all lower races uh, Believed that he should be that the Germans should be at the top of everything. They were they were the supreme race. So these things, these are ideas, these are thoughts, these are things that percolate inside people's minds and then when people get uh, a certain amount of power or they get themselves into the right position where they can influence others, then it bears fruit. And that fruit comes out in the form in the, of whatever it takes because of The nature of it, the nature of the ideas, the nature of the seedbed, the nature of the soil. So this is important to understand for our own day because we live in a day now where everybody feels like they have a voice, where they should be speaking. I mean, look at me, I'm doing a podcast and sending it out and you're listening to it. So I think I have something to say, but is my something to say reflective and related to what God would say? So in the world of minds, everything is about how we think and process and then live out uh, our understanding of the world around us. Is it true? Is it able to stand on the word of God and be and be part of what God has said? Or is it outside of the word of God and based on flesh and selfishness and basically the, the ways of... The wisdom of this world. So, remember, going all the way back to the garden, all the way back to Genesis chapter three, the devil comes along and puts a uh, a carrot, <laughs> or I should or an apple, uh, in front of Eve, hangs it there as kind of this delectable treat, and he says, "Has God really said? Because you know, if you eat off that, if you if you take this and eat it, you will be like God." So he made God out to be a liar, or at, or at the very least someone who hides things from us, and tried to get Eve and Adam to realize that if they if they sidestepped God and did their own thing and basically were following Him, then they would be better off, that they would have a wisdom that was superior to what they currently had. And so it does say that she saw, that the tree was desirable to make one wise. It's a form of wisdom that comes from within, that comes from the self. And so we know that the world operates based on certain laws. We have natural law, but we also have moral law. So natural law, things like gravity and time and space and all this kind of stuff, Uh, is there, and it's hard to break these laws. You just have to transcend them, so to speak. So the law of gravity keeps us all on the ground, but the law of aerodynamics helps us to transcend the law of gravity. Putting helium into a balloon allows the plastic of the balloon to transcend the law of gravity. It goes above it. it. It counteracts it because it's a different kind of law. Helium is lighter than ambient air around us so it makes things float if you put it all together in the right spot these kind of things but there's also moral law now the ten commandments are thou shalt not kill thou shalt not commit adultery thou shalt not lie thou shalt not covet those kind of things and they're put into the language of negatives because one negative opens the door to a huge amount of positives so, just to say something like, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Uh, we've been watching this series on television lately, and there is this chap recently on it, and he discovered for the first time his biological niece, who was able to give him information about his biological father, who he never knew. So, his biological father uh, actually had an affair. And his wife filed for a divorce. And he, for some reason, in a fit of rage or depression or anger or whatever, murdered her and then killed himself. So now this poor chap discovers this at the age of 57. (laughs) And so here he realizes... The f- the very moment he discovers who his dad is and sees a photograph of him, he's also told, "Oh, by the way, your dad murdered his wife," which I don't I can't remember if they said that was his mom or not, and then also committed suicide. All in one foul swoop, and that decision affected this man. For 57 years, living in wonder of why am I like this? Why Why am I a black guy growing up in a white family? I have no idea who I am, where I come from, anything like that. And so the, the, his father, who committed the do not commit adultery, r- broke that law, uh, ended up committing murder and suicide and and drastically affected the lives of many, many people because of the decision that he made and caused a lot of pain and suffering in generations to come. So if you take the opposite and say, okay, it says a negative, you shall not commit adultery, but there's an opposite that you shall be faithful to your spouse. You shall be honorable to your, uh, to your spouse. You shall love your spouse as the Lord loves you. Then it opens the door to an abundance of freedom. That man would have grown up with a father who knew that his dad loved his mother, who knew that he was in a secure social environment, a family environment, who then would have been able to not have to worry about all these questions and all this um, uh, depression or 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 sadness or or sense of unbelonging or anything like that. And he would have been in a safe and secure environment to grow up to be a stronger person. Or a more whole and secure person. So, this is an interesting uh, avenue to think down. Because people look at the Ten Commandments and think negative, but it's actually a positive thing. Now, in Matthew 3, God has given us the account of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we often think of this idea of repentance as kind of bad. You know, you need to repent. We have visions of guys on street corners yelling out, repent, you sinners, repent. And we get all frustrated and, and funny about that kind of thing. But it's sort of the wrong idea that we have about repentance. That so repentance is just, what it means is a change of mind. A turning in your mind from thinking one way to thinking another. That's what repentance is. It's not a negative thing. It's a very positive thing. And people do it all the time. Universities are filled with professors who are out to get their students to repent, to change their mind from one way of thinking to another way of thinking. If you've ever been in... Uh, an intense dialogue or conversation with somebody, and they're really trying to get you to see things a certain way, then they're trying to get you to, quote, repent, to change your mind. Now, ultimately, repentance, in God's estimation, is to turn your mind to Him. Because everybody is born into sin. Everybody is born in a sort of state of darkness, they can't quite see things right. Now, parents have a massive influence on their children. Teachers have a massive influence on children. Universities have a massive influence on the students that go to them. The media has a massive influence on what it, it promotes and how it affects people's thinking. Radio, newspapers, social media, YouTube, all these things when you start looking at this and see the kind of, oh, if you watch that, then you'll want to watch this. Oh, if you watch that, then you'll want to watch this. And so what happens is these algorithms create a a sort of personalized playlist for you based on what you've seen. And as a result, you only ever see like and similar things. It's training you to think a certain way. Is what it's actually doing. So you end up with... Uh, blocks of society, blocks of people that have a certain way of thinking about things, a certain mindset about things, and as a result, they work it out in their day-to-day life and in their conversations and interactions with other people, what kind of fruit is going to come from that? What kind of fruit came from the German mindset of superiority over everybody else and insecurity at the same time. It brought about World War I, and ultimately World War II, where hundreds of millions of people died, and it changed the course of world history. Because a handful of people had certain ways of thinking about things, and those ways of thinking about things bore fruit through a world war. This happens on a micro level in your life every day and it happens on a macro level with things like world wars. But it also happens on a universal ultra macro level. It happens when God has had enough <laughs> or or God has been persuaded. So this has a lot to do with prayer, it has a lot to do with rebellion against God. Because there's wheat and there's tares. What does Matthew 13 say? Matthew 13 says that the the farmer planted wheat, but then an enemy came in and planted tares. Now Jesus explains that the farmer who planted the wheat is the Son of Man. He is God. He is Jesus, the the Godhead. It's going along and trying to make a good and right and proper world, but an enemy comes in and sows tares, sows uh, a corrupt seed. So this was what happened in the garden God made this marvelous place for Adam and Eve to live and intended for them to 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 tend it and to care for it and to have this marvelous world a wonderful uh, place where there would be no uh, animosity or anger or sin or 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 strife or anything like that taking place people would live in a kind of harmony harmonious way but the devil came in first chance he got and sowed a tear sowed uh, a, a divergent seed, but notice that he uses the right terms. He says, Hey, this is something that can make you wise. This is something that that you would really benefit from. Sounds good, but it 's a load of rubbish. And so this false wisdom comes in. Uh, she saw that it was desirable to make her wise. Now, people want wisdom. Everybody thinks that they've got an in. Everyone thinks that they know exactly how things should be done and how to understand this process, that process, or the other thing. Everybody thinks that they've got an, uh, an edge on somebody else. But the reality is, is that God, who is above all things, He in Him resides wisdom. Wisdom is personified in the person of Jesus Christ for us humans. And that wisdom can get passed on if we are repenting if we're repentant if we repent if we turn our mind from the things of the world and look toward god then god will bestow or 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 infill or put within us or work through us a godly wisdom that everybody else will look at and go what a weirdo well that's stupid why do you believe that oh your your views are outdated and antiquated uh, no, they're universal, is really what it is. If, if it's a biblical truth that speaks to our society today, then it's universal truth. It's not antiquated and out of date. It's something that is very poignant and very real for today. So we have to recognize that there's sort of a hierarchy of thought. We'll put it that way. Our repentance that John the Baptist talks about, that repentance... Uh, that 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 bears fruit we need to turn from our own way of understanding things infuse ourselves with the scriptures and then allow the scriptures and prayer and seeking god to change how we think in the change of thinking we get a change of action the change of action will affect the people around us and in that affecting It will allow for God to do a greater work, ultimately for him to be glorified, but also for society as a whole to be healed and be better. It's a huge task, and I'm not saying it's not a huge task. It is a huge task and one that we need to approach very humbly and very prayerfully. But it all begins with this sort of idea of repenting. Now, I'm not advocating going out onto the street corners and yelling at people, saying, Repent! And the kingdom of God is near! The wrath of God is coming! I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is you begin right now by waking up every morning and taking the scriptures and listening to them, reading them, listen to good bible teaching listen to people who will point you to god and not themselves or not to some other funny thing out there like oh man the church is here to serve the poor i'm not saying the church is not there to serve the poor but the church is ultimately there to point people to jesus oh we need to be more charitable we need to be more active in politics i'm not saying don't be active in politics i'm saying that as believers our job is to aim people to god and to uh, understanding the scriptures for today in the right sort of way so that we can impact society today in the right sort of way that gives God the glory. So we have to maintain this focus. We have to maintain this, this presence of mind that says, what are we here on this earth for? We're here to bear fruit The fruits of repentance, that's what John the Baptist says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, is your life, is the totality of your life such that it is because you have turned your mind and your thinking and your reasoning and your deducing and all of that toward the Lord and letting him speak to you and then ultimately through you. That's what it's all about. So I pray that you would be blessed Read the Bible. If you enjoyed this, we have a course on how to understand, uh, interpreting, understanding how to interpret the Bible better. Uh, you can get a, find a link to that from some of our show notes, uh, if not this one exactly. And God bless you and keep yourself uh, in his will and in his ways. And I think you'll be blessed. you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. That's calebtheelectrician at gmail.com. And remember to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.